Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Duke Football Coverage Podcast, brought to you as always by Bull City Coordinators. You can follow us on our website, bullcitycoordinators.com. Check us out on Twitter at DukeFBCoverage. We're on Reddit. You can listen to us anywhere you can get your podcasts. Also, uh, check out our friends over at the Section 17 Duke Football Talk podcast. They had an interview with Cade Parmalee that was very good. Uh, I listened to it yesterday and enjoyed it. But today, we're getting ready to close out Season 1. This is the last of uh, the second to last of the interviews we have planned for Season 1, and we are going to where championships are won. We're going to the defensive side of the ball a former Duke defensive lineman that I'm sure you guys remember very well. We have Mike Ramsey with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I'm looking forward to another great talk with uh, a very, very good uh, member of Blue Devils football history. And uh, as we talked about for a little bit, we as fans don't really get to know you personally, don't get to know the players personally. We see you on the field with helmets on, shoulder pads, and all that. So why don't you just take a few minutes, a few minutes, tell us what you're up to now, what you've been doing since you finished your time in Durham. Oh, awesome. So uh, after I graduated in 2017, I went on to train for the draft um, in Georgia, went to Gata. I definitely recommend them. Great guys over there at GATA on Johns Creek. Um, I went on drafts to the Tennessee Titans, ended up getting cut um, after the preseason. I went up to Canada for a little bit with the BC Lions, uh, met some good friends up there while I was there. Ended up coming back to the U.S., went to the AAF with Orlando Apollos for a little bit. The AAF was still a thing. Um, let's see, then I spent some time with the Eagles. And then following that, I decided I was done bouncing around, wasn't really getting much traction over those two years after I graduated from Duke. Uh, so I started working here in Atlanta. I'm currently working uh, as a senior analyst with Accenture, a consulting firm here in Atlanta. Um, things are going well. well that's th- a little bit about me. Well, that's great to hear. I'm glad things are going well for you. Tell us a little bit about the differences between Canadian football and the NFL. Um, well, I got immediately my first biggest um slapping the face i guess once you get into canada was like uh the fans and also like the resources i would say that my facility while in vancouver um all of the nfl guys would never walk into <laughs> as far as like the cold tub or what was available like recovery wise um other than that i don't really love the being off the yard off the ball with defensive alignment of course uh, actually talked to coach albert recently um, shout out to Coach Albert, but you know, I was telling everyone to get off the ball and, of course, like close the distance to your uh, offensive linemen. So, having giving them a yard is kind of unfortunate. But outside of that, I enjoyed my time. Like I said, met some great guys up there, some I still keep in contact with now. So, um, every experience has its positives. Tell us a little bit about what the process was like for you getting ready to go through the draft and then the signing process after that um getting ready uh of course generally try to tell us to not really talk to agents um until after your senior season thereby i definitely did not do that i don't recommend that at all um, i started talking to some during my senior season and ended up finding one that i liked in wilmington um with gary uh, shipman 
So um, that was a unique experience. Of course, I had to talk to different people, phone calls, and go meet with them, see what they're about, um, and how they're willing to help you if they believe in your um, NFL prospect and how well you'll turn out. So that was a, a chaotic experience, especially while trying to play and then having that pressure of where am I going to sign, how will it work out. So definitely try to take it day by day and just try to stay focused on football. And then um, afterwards, the signing process, I was undrafted, so I stand, I signed like a standard undrafted um, contract, whatever the minimum is. But of course, it doesn't really mean anything um, until you make the team. So I always wondered why that was even a thing kind of beforehand. But, yeah. Now, I'd be getting yelled at if I didn't ask you about this, since you mentioned you played for the Apollos and your head coach was uh, the old ball coach himself, uh, Steve Spurrier, if I remember correctly. Can you? Yeah. Uh, you can't have a Duke podcast and not mention Spurrier if you get the chance. So did, tell us what you can about what he was like. Oh, I thought it was great. You know, high energy, definitely had, of course – a lot of great football experience. Um, was a great positive guy. I, of course, I didn't spend too much personal time with him, but I spoke with him um, a couple times, and I loved his energy and how he approached practices and tried to motivate guys. So I have nothing but great things to say for uh, Spurrier. Did you get to hear any of those classic Spurrier zingers we've all come to know and love over the years? <laughs> None that I can uh, spit back at you right now, but I'm sure that uh, I, I have. Well, let's just hope none of them were directed at you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Luckily, no, I did not get uh, chewed out by them. So I, I live to tell, talk about that. So, well, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. Tell us a little bit about, and I've talked to a couple of your former teammates about this, and I'm just curious what your perspective on this is like. You go from playing at a high level. Uh, you go through some professional leagues. You were with the Titans, uh, the Eagles, the you were in Canada, you were with the Apollos, you're around a guy like Steve Spurrier. You go from that to saying, all right, um, it's time to move on, time to do something else. Tell us a little bit about what that process is like transitioning out of football. Um, it can definitely be um, tough some guys. I think for me, it wasn't um, too bad. I definitely felt like while with Tennessee and throughout all these teams, I definitely um, gave it all I got as far as like studying the playbook or physical-wise, kind of bringing my best. So I feel like as long as you um, don't hold out and definitely try to bring your best every day, you can leave, walk away knowing that you did all you could. Um, I think that the biggest thing is having regrets, wishing that you would have or could have. Of course, everyone um, everyone ever wants to have to deal with that. So uh, definitely say just give it your all, and it's okay. Definitely stay in tune with your star player. Know, know and love yourself because um, if you kind of hone all of your identity from one single thing, it's kind of hard when that leaves. But like I said, luckily I still keep in contact with all the guys. But I feel like more than missing football, I kind of miss the brotherhood of having all my guys in the locker room, not really waking up at 5 a.m. or lifting or running. It's not really what I miss, but just like the camaraderie <laughs> more so. So I think that especially in the recent climate, I think you really need to know and love yourself to be able to move past um, playing or any other failure. I wouldn't say it was a failure, but to me it was a failure as far as like not um, seeing it all the way through football-wise, but being able to bounce back from that. Um, starts and ends with you and what's between your ears. T tell us a little bit about what kind of interests uh, you or what you've done to try to not just get too focused on just one thing like football. And as an attorney, I see this a lot with lawyers who hang around too long because they don't have a lot outside of the day-to-day -day grind of practice and law. But 
tell us a little bit about what you've done to try to make sure you have divergent interests and other things going on in your life. Um, I would just say, uh, kind of like I said, knowing yourself, kind of spending some time to think. Uh, one thing my dad always told me, um, at the end of each day, when you're laying down or relaxing, getting for bed, kind of reflect on what went right, what went wrong throughout the day. Kind of like a mental checklist of like where you wish you would have went left or where you thought you could have went right. So kind of having a mental recap of what went well throughout the day. And then also, um, I'm not trying different things. I'm really um, interested in like financial literacy at the moment. Um, I listen to a lot of like earn your leisure and the master investor, like Ian Dunlap and a bunch of other guys. I'm not familiar with any of them, but how to like build wealth. So I'm pretty interested in that now. I'm starting to invest and things of that nature. I love video games. Um, I play a lot of like FIFA and stuff like that. But I don't know, just taking time to try things, reflect on yourself, know yourself, and take it one day at a time. It's interesting what you say about financial literature. That's one thing I wish that I had known a lot more about when I was going through high school and college that I focused a lot more on that, especially being at the law firm I'm at now where management is a lot more significant and I'm involved in. Uh, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on what schools or our education system should do to try to make that a core component of our our standard education uh, prerequisites and core requirements. Great question. Before I answer that, I actually shout out to also Alan Jackson, one of my roommates. He's actually going to talk uh, to me about earning your leisure and kind of turn me on to uh, investing and stuff like that. So shout out to him. And um, repeat that one more time. Well, you know, the school system, I think it should be revamped entirely. Um, I thought that uh, the Biden administration was talking about extending school two more years. I thought that was a garbage decision. I think school needs to be completely redone. I feel like it's a waste of time from top to bottom. Um, there's nothing that I really look back on what I've learned. And even though it's a nice private school here in Georgia, there's nothing that I really use for my day to day. It was kind of all just a waste of time. Uh, so I think that needs to be completely redone as far as like learning about history and you know, what actually happened in, here in the U.S. And then also just like home ec, um, how to balance your checkbook, what credit looks like, uh, fixing your credit, the importance of credit. I feel like especially in the black community, like my mom and a lot of other moms, like they scare you about credit. Like don't get a credit card, but it's actually like, you know, get a credit card, but be responsible. So I think that from top to bottom, it's, it's garbage uh, in my humble opinion. Well, so uh, sticking with that, uh, I, I have a history degree and I, that was something that I just loved pretty much from junior high all through college, and, and I read a lot about it. But, but you mentioned switching up kind of the history discussion that we have. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. I mean, uh, not what I mean by that, uh, especially I feel like a lot of the kind of notion, I believe, uh, when you think about what we see I don't know. I feel like it's, it's whitewashed. And of course, history is written by the victor. So, you know, whoever wins gets to write the history books. But I think that we kind of um, quickly escape over a lot of uh, things that happened in the U.S. and kind of focus on, uh, of course, all these um, generals. And we learn about Robert E. Lee and all these things. But it's just regular. And all these, all these Confederate generals, all these schools that are finally coming down. So I feel like instead of, like, you know, paying homage and, like, glorifying the confederate flag and these generals i think we need to tell a more real story uh personally but i mean everyone has their opinion own opinion but that is mine yeah and, and i've always kind of been interested in how you find the time 
in a school system that is not year round and we have summer breaks to broaden the perspective of what's being taught and how it's being taught and, and what ideas and concepts students are being exposed to. Because when you lose several months out of the year to kids not being there, it, I think it gets harder to not just say, here was a battle or here was an election. Uh, here's the next president that came after this one. And you, and you take it past that. So I, I, I'd, I'd be interested to see maybe if the answer to a lot of this is is year-round school and what your thoughts are on that. Um, I would be open to that, honestly, because I think you have, like, I don't really know the, the breakdown. But is it, what is it, like, three weeks on, one week off? Right? What's, like, the, the breakdown of year-round school? I think it could potentially um, be done that way. But I think that, like I said, I definitely think there's a real lens on, like, revamping it. Even with my company now that I work for, like, every few months, two years, like they reshuffle things. So like our like organization structure just recently changed. And I feel like we're still reading To Kill a Mockingbird. We're still reading Great Gatsby. We're still reading all these. So now like, I feel like it's just garbage. <laughs> There's no real thought. I feel like pressed into the school system. It's just like, let's just do these things over and over again because of how we've always done it. And I mean, that's how I feel. And I think we, one of the key things that, that we're doing right now that I think is reflective of how maybe perspectives get a good bit broadened is you and I are having a discussion about this, right? And we're talking about, and this is in the context of a football podcast, right? So, yes. you know, you and I have a discussion about this and we throw some ideas out there. I, you know, I remember reading in college, uh, a couple of Richard Wright novels, which were just mind blowing to me. And it opened my mind to how little I know about a lot of things. Uh, and I thought yeah. that was important. And a lot of his themes and what he gets into may be a little bit harder for your average high school student to read. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. But there, there, there does seem to need to be a way to, to broaden people's perspective and kind of open, just expose them to different, different ideas and different concepts. And and I'll give you an example, you know, of where I went to law school. We're in the midst of a big discussion about our our school's name. You know, I went to, to W&L uh, in Lexington, Virginia, and you can figure out who that's named after um, pretty easily. Uh, but we're having a big discussion about what we, what we do with the school and what we stand for, despite the who the L and the name is named after, right? Yeah. And we, Absolutely. you know, the the name has not been changed, but there are a lot of steps that are being taken to listen to other people. Take the I think what you were getting at is kind of this deification process, right, that occurs yeah. that to, to undo a lot of that. So we can focus on a lot of the good things that, that happen at the school. But I think it's an ongoing mm-hmm. conversational process and. As long as folks like you and me are willing to sit down and just say, okay, well, what do you think? What do you think? And have a good discussion. Then I think at, at some point you'll get to situations where people are, are reading like American Hunger and Native Son and are like, wow, I, you know, I had no idea about this. Or they listen to Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcast series about Haiti and they're like, wow, yeah. I had no idea about any of this. You know, and it, yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened to that segment of revolutions but if you haven't and anybody who's listening i yeah that is a must listen i had no idea about 
how Haiti came to be, its history, its evolution. That was completely mind-opening to me, and, and I commend that to anybody who's listening to this, this podcast. You'll learn a whole lot about it. Anything that Mike Duncan does on to anybody. He is one of my favorite podcasters of all time. History of Rome is fantastic. Revolutions is great. Uh, and I can't wait to read his uh, his books that he's written. But we have gone way, way into uh, <laughs> left field. Although I, oh, I yeah, do. Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. This is part of why I do this is it gives me an opportunity to have good, long form, interesting conversations with people. And, uh, you know, I remember the interview that I did with Takobi Cofield, we talked a lot about coaching styles and communication styles, which was just fantastic. So I, I enjoy the opportunity to have these conversations. But um, let me ask you a little bit about how you got into football. Oh, okay. Um, how I originally got into football, I think I tried to play. Um, my mom was terrified about letting me play football. Uh, <laughs> she was really against it. Uh, my family is Jamaican. Uh, I'm a first generation, and they played a lot of soccer. So I played a lot of soccer growing up. Uh, but, you know, I got a little too big to be running miles all over a field. So uh, I was too big for, like, the elementary school team. I think there's, like, a weight limit. And I was, like, overweight for that team while uh, in elementary school or middle school. So I didn't play then. But when I got to Walker, uh, my one of my mentors, actually, as well, um, is my middle school, high school coach and, like, a big mentor of mine who I still talk to regularly, uh, Coach Dawson. And he convinced my mom um, to let me play. And then they kind of just – quickly picked up from there. I mean, I was pretty bad when I first started playing out football. Couldn't really finish a practice growing up. Like, I had coaches running with me to try to finish sprints, but um, a, a little a little work and all this things would go a long way. But finally, definitely a crazy journey to go from not being able to finish practice to, of course, being now a captain at Duke and then having a, a dip my toe in to a little bit of professional football. Um, it was a pretty um, fun experience. But, yeah, my uh, mentor um, – and coach uh, convinced my mom to finally let me play. Well, the soccer had to help with your footwork, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it definitely did. I definitely um, recommend anyone, especially having kids play multiple sports, uh, can might pick up some things that will help you with whatever you decide to be your main sport or your collegiate sport. Um, will definitely Footwork will definitely help, without a doubt. So if you could tell us a little bit about your recruitment process, who recruited you and what made you decide I'm going to Duke? Um, really? I, so I got a, a letter from Duke, maybe like freshman and sophomore year of high school. And I showed it to my mom and I was like, would it be crazy if I actually was able to go to school at Duke? Cause I didn't really know anything about the athletic um, nature of Duke. I just knew that it was like world renowned as an amazing school. But I knew that at that time, my grades were not getting into Duke. So it was kind of more of a joke to my mom. It's like, a, hey, look at this. This is funny. And then uh, my senior year, like I said, shout out again to Coach Dalton. Um, he drove me up to Duke's football camp at a big man camp. And I just I dominated that camp. And afterwards, Coach Cut invited me to his office. And I talked to him uh, 
after the camp, and a couple of days later, he called me and offered me, and I immediately committed. And my parents were actually um, pissed. Uh, my mom and dad were like, why did you commit so early? You should have kept looking. Uh, but I was, I knew if I graduated from school like Duke, it would be okay. So I still don't regret it, of course. Uh, my parents wanted me to go to, I didn't have an offer, but I was like invited to a camp at Georgia and a couple other places, like you should have waited. And I was like, that's cool and all, but I'm going to go get this Duke degree, and I don't regret it. Well, we're certainly glad that you decided to come to Duke. Uh, I was watching some highlights of you uh, to get ready for this, and I, I'd forgotten how uh, how quick you were at getting around some of those people. So next time you see your soccer coaches who uh, uh, started you out, uh, tell them uh, I said thank you for uh, for helping you uh, develop in that respect. <laughs> Absolutely, will do. Yeah, it was, uh, I love it. I love stunting and moving. Unfortunately, I didn't really love you know. No, no one really loves fighting double teams, but anything like movement-wise, like pass rush wise I loved. Um, so yeah, that stuff was a lot of fun, and I'll definitely uh, shout out to all the soccer coaches with my rec and you know high school soccer days. I actually won a championship while at Walker too. Really? I didn't. I didn't uh, contribute much to it, but I was on the team. I was there. Well, we uh, we're contract. I'm contractually obligated to mention this every time soccer comes up in an interview. Uh, my wife played a lot of soccer. They actually didn't have organized soccer where I grew up, so I never really learned to play it. Uh, but uh, when we were coaching my son's rec team, uh, we coached him for three years. We had zero losses. And our worst season, we had one tie. That was the legacy of the goal crusher. So I got to bring that yeah. up. All right. Uh, every time. That I... is incredible. <laughs> I think my Rochester, I, I grew up in Rochester. My like, little league team was the Purple People Leaders. And I still think about how hilarious that name is. It's so. fantastic. That's the football connection, oh, that... too. It was destined for you to play football playing on that team and defense, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I I have to mention the goal crushers. So it was it was a crazy run. We uh we're coaching our daughter's team now, and we may not quite have the same talent level that we did with uh, with the boys. We had a really talented group of kids, and we looked a lot smarter with uh with those guys on the field. So, uh, but let's um let's talk a little bit about your time at Duke here. Uh. I, since I interviewed your former teammate, uh, A.J. Wolf, I've been trying to make sure to ask guys about the academic and classroom side of Duke. I think I've been focusing too much on the, the football element of it. Just mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your experience at Duke in the classroom and, and what it's like. I mean, I, I imagine the schedule had to be pretty difficult for you guys. Um, yeah, I definitely think it was uh, difficult, but I also think they did try to, uh, at the time, it's hard to think of it as that, but I think years past i definitely think they definitely tried to do a great job of course like aep and like mentor study halls and giving you mentors and be able to uh, help you try to manage your schedule and of course um i love heather ryan uh, she was my academic advisor all at duke and she often would uh give me the swift kick that i needed to kind of motivate me to do better <laughs> at school a little, a little lazier than i should have been when it comes to school but um, Heather like, really cared about you know how all of us did uh, academically, so I definitely appreciate uh, that as well. But yeah, it was difficult. The school aspect's difficult. The schedule, of course, you wake up early, you got to go to practice. As soon as you get done to practice, you have to go straight to class. Then you'll have tutoring later on that night. You may have another tutoring session, or you'll meet with your mentor and kind of help you like plan out what you have going on for the week, or maybe revise any papers that you may have to write or anything of that nature. So 
Um, my first year was a rude awakening. I never really tried very hard at school. I kind of just, even though, like I said, that's a pretty good private school, I never really gave it much thought. But after my first semester at Duke and I received those Bs, I was uh, quickly reminded that it's not going to be, uh, things aren't going to be the way they've always been. And I was going to have to work a lot harder than I have before if I was going to stay. So, but yeah, I definitely was able to lock in a little bit and improve those grades. But yeah, it was a, a unique experience to say the least. Well, hopefully mom and dad didn't end up getting on you about it. Oh, my mom was ready to come to school. She was like, that's fun yeah, i love my mom as well definitely uh shout out to my mom she's definitely uh very passionate about my education and uh making good decisions so i love her for that yeah well you don't need mom mad at you uh that's for oh, sure no. <laughs> definitely don't want any problems. So uh, I may be bigger, but she'll definitely still give me give me some some tips. So you know, gotta listen to mom. Moms moms can be mean. They're tricky. You know, oh, yeah, they get you. Um, so if I if I recall and did my research correctly, you were at Duke from 2013 to 17. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, in your first year, you redshirted, and then you yes. played the next four. Correct? Yes, I did. So going through your time on the football end of things, you start out about as high as you guys can get. You win the Coastal. You guys go to the Peach Bowl, which is what I'm going to call it. And you were there for four bowl games in your five years. And the last two seasons, as high as you guys had been, 2016 and 2017, are full of injuries and a little bit of inconsistency in 2017, which we'll get to. But what was that process like where you come in and things are as, as high as they can be and then to kind of go down into the struggles that you had your last two years? Um, coming in, uh, I mean, it was a great experience, especially going to the Chick-fil-A, uh, the Peach Bowl, and experiencing that. I definitely thought, I mean, I still think about that sometimes. I really thought that game, after halftime, I was like, wow, this is going to win. So I, I definitely have some pain. Um, attached to that game as well uh, but it was a great experience I definitely think that um, we kind of lost sight of all the uh, the struggles that a lot of those guys went through like you talk about Jacoby and AJ I feel like a lot of those guys um, kind of made it up in their mind that they were done losing I feel like you know three or nine years of Duke football had taken their toll on them and Lake and a lot of those guys and they just were played phenomenal and I definitely think that we uh, didn't live up in their memory at some places you know we, don't, we came into winning didn't really get used to that that pain of going out and losing over and over again. So I definitely think that we weren't as hungry as we should have been, especially in that four and eight year, I think the junior year. Um, some internal struggles and just losing sight of um, what we need to get done on the field to be able to, to go back to those big bowl games. But um, I think it was good for character-wise to kind of experience that struggle, like I said, going uh RNA and missing a bowl game after all we've known as going to bowl games and getting all these gifts, it's good to be reminded that you're not invincible, you know, and it's not just going to come to you, you're going to have to go and take it. Well, that 2016 season, I felt like you guys played your hearts out every game, but it just seemed like every time you turned around, somebody was getting hurt, and it was the kind of guys you couldn't replace, like uh, Cirque gets hurt, you guys lose yeah, Edwards, fair. I mean... And Jones came in and played great, but you can't replace a guy like Edwards. Yeah. 
just what was that like with just at one point I think AJ was the only captain you guys had left who could go on the field. I mean, uh, I, it's, it's tough. I mean, especially when, when big-time players get hurt. But, I mean, they tell you all the time that you need to just stay ready and you never know what's going to be happening. And a lot of players, I think, like, you know, you think that they're just saying that. But when your name is called, you have to be ready. And, of course, um, it's hard to replace a lot of uh, those big-name guys. And even recently, you know, you think of, like, some people have been hurt even recently, like Mark Gilbert, and some people are still having injuries at Duke now. There are a lot of um, impactful players that uh, have to sit out, but unfortunately um, that can happen you have to be ready if you're a backup to be uh, to do the best you can but yeah it hurt I mean losing um, impactful players and starters and captains is always going to be hard there's not really not any magic formula to get back from losing Cirque or uh, Kelby got hurt or the list goes on and on of uh, uh, big time two players that unfortunately were injured but you just got to be ready let me talk a little bit about the 2017 season with you. You guys start out 4-0, and then you lose six straight, you win three straight, close it out with a bowl win. What was happening that year that led to those streaks and some of the inconsistency? Uh, I mean, that, that, it was awful uh, to see that uh, sixth run. Um, I think started out how maybe got a little full of ourselves. I'd also um, say leadership wise, I know Patrick did a better job on kind of crawling everyone to bounce back from that. But um, I don't know. That's uh, a mystery to me as well. It was painful to go on those runs, but like I guess I do have to be able to go out every day and earn it. It's not going to be over for now, and now we're just going to go undefeated. It's like we got to forget the last game, prepare for this game, and make sure that you're ready to go and win it. What happens the week before doesn't matter. Um, we're a win or loss. We need to stay focused on the task at hand. So I think early on, the hype of being 4-0 got to our head, and then, you know, the despair of being 0-3 in the last three games or whatever kind of got to our heads as well. Um, so it's, it's difficult definitely have to be able to put those losses or wins out of your mind and get ready to come for the next week. And one thing that was kind of weird during the six-game losing streak, and I'm going to read these off, but you lose to Virginia by a touchdown and an extra point. You lose to Florida State by seven. You lose to Pitt by seven, and you lost to Army by five. You were losing some close games, and it's not like you were necessarily getting the tar beat out of you every time. Did you – was it just a problem with closing out games? Had you not gelled as a unit? What did what did you think was going on there? I mean, I can't blame any one thing, but like I said, I feel like you have to go out and execute. We just weren't close games. I mean, you couldn't always tell you it's a game of inches, and that's what it is. I mean, like one missed assignment here, one drop ball there, can be the difference between a win and a loss, especially in those close games. So. Um, on myself, especially as a older guy, but also everyone on the team, we definitely have to make sure that we're doing our 111th and doing everything exactly the way it needs to be done on every play. And it, it's hard to lose by three and seven, of course, you know, but uh, it's it's a game of inches. And there could be a, a litany of, of small, uh, this person steps wrong, this one. And now, like anything could have been the game decider, but it's hard to pick any one thing, any one person, or any one, like, topic to be the, the downfall of it. It's got to go out and, and everyone has to do their part. So you guys turn it around against Georgia Tech, and I remember that game because I was there, and you guys were down 14-3 to at one point, and 
me and the guys that would go watch the games together every year started kind of rolling our eyes like, great, you know, this is going to be another loss. And then it's like the lights came on, uh, and you guys just rolled Georgia Tech out of the building, beat them uh, 43 to 20. What caused you guys to turn it around and get hot at that point? Got made, made a great decision. Like, you got to start off uh, by any like small big play and kind of build off some energy. I truly don't even remember this game, but I would uh, say that we finally were able to, to have that same thought. Like, this is are we really going to lose again? Yeah. We have the everyone and every team or every person has that have had that moment where you know enough is enough and being able to fight back was a great. Uh, win for us but I definitely think we just had that similar thought of like damn are we going to have another loss this is it or are we going to fight back and do what we know we need to do to be able to close out the game so that's what we were able to turn it around but I'll say some good big defensive stops being able to um, try to hold them from scoring and also of course the offense doing what needs to do to get some, some big touchdowns to close the gap so I'm proud of that one being able to come back from behind is always good and those wins always especially in the fourth quarter always go up in the locker room so I mean, in the weight room, so it's uh, good to remember that you can fight and come back and close out games. Tell us, if you would, I remember when you guys were playing against Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson was the head coach. They ran the triple option, and I remember uh, Jeremy McDuffie's knee getting torn up pretty bad as a result yeah. of their blocking style. What is it like playing against a team that runs that system, especially on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, it's miserable. I mean, uh, no defensive lineman will tell you that they love uh, facing triple option, and you really just have to be really locked in. Um, that is, uh, that'll definitely expose you as a defense if you're not able to do what you do what you need to do and be where you're supposed to be, and not thinking that oh, I thought that he had the ball, or I thought like no matter what is going on, you need to go where you're supposed to go because. Uh, Getting cut is miserable. I get preparing for Army and Georgia Tech are always the worst. I hate having to deal with that. Of course, our practice structure changes. You have to deal with it in camp, getting ready to, you know, those big, like, rubber balls thrown at your knees and practicing cutting, getting cut. I hate that stuff. But it definitely, um, it will definitely expose an undisciplined defense um, quickly, uh, the triple option, in my opinion. So in that situation, are you guys pretty much just focusing primarily on gap containment and gap control and just staying exactly where you're supposed to be as opposed to trying to do a little bit of improvising? Yeah, there's no room for improvising, um, definitely. Not really gap control, but just uh, still being violent with your hands and getting off the ball, but just knowing that, you know, if you're supposed to be in the A-gap and you're not, that could be a touchdown. Or if you have the pitch man and you think that it's a dive and you go for the dive, that could be a touchdown. So, so you just need to do what you're supposed to be, make sure you're locked in on your cues and run the defense exactly how it's drawn up or where, if you go where you're supposed to be or we could be looking at a touchdown. So are you trying to get into a just don't overthink it, just do exactly what you're supposed to do kind of a mode? Yes. Okay. Yes, don't overthink it. Don't. Oh, I thought I thought, yeah, that's the biggest killer is I thought it went over there. I thought, you know where you're supposed to be, you know what the defense is, and go there. Is that hard to – I mean, because you guys would always play at least two teams that ran that option a year. But is it hard to go from, you know, a more – I don't want to say traditional, but a more standard offense to all of a sudden you're going to, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a – 
that's a difficult transition. Like I was saying, like the tri- even just from the the week before or a week up, or even during camp, having the practices change, and we're going through, you know, like protecting the knees there and getting cut and beating cut blocks and just playing a triple option, and having the scout team do it. It's a it's a big transition to, you know, three yards in a pot of dust to um, a traditional offense. But it's it's hard to make the switch, but of course you have to. Um, I think they do a good job. Our coaches did a good job trying to prepare us and then having a switch back um, as far as just the practice structure and what we do um, in the meeting in the film room and stuff of that nature. So I definitely think they did a great job preparing us for it, but it's hard to make the switch uh, mentally and physically from I'm going to get cut to this is, you know, a traditional quote-unquote offense. Well, you were – part of two bowl game wins uh, in your time at Duke, the uh, Pinstripe Bowl and the Quick Lane Bowl. Is that right? Um, yes. What was it like to win a bowl game, uh, especially the, the Pinstripe Bowl, to be part of that team, the first bowl win since, I think, 1960? What was that like? Oh, it was, it was incredible. I definitely think uh, that shouldn't have been a, a shootout. I needed to do some things better defensively, but – um, being able to close it out regardless is just huge, especially like you say, it's a piece of history. Being able to be a part of that um, is, of course, awesome. Uh, but I, I actually heard definitely like going to, you know, the Sun Bowl and all these different bowl games, you know, not being able to close it out. Uh, we definitely bring that with you. So it was big to be able to get, get a couple wins and, of course, be able to have a couple bowl rings. Um, I remember uh, seeing one of my um, high school coaches, you know, to Auburn, uh, had a huge um, bowl ring. I was just like thinking about how cool that I'd be able to get one and then getting a few. So definitely enjoyed that. Now you were a captain on the 2017 team, uh, 2017 team. Is that correct? Yes. Tell us how the captains are chosen and what it meant to you to be a captain. Uh, captains are chosen. Uh, we kind of all go in the meeting room and kind of cast our ballot for who we believe should be captain. Um, so it meant, it meant a lot to me. Uh, I definitely tried. Uh, I felt like it was, you know, my last year, and I tried to uh, definitely pick up my presence um, in the weight room, in the film room, and on the field. So I felt like I was able to uh, get a few more sacks and have a little more impact in the film, run some meetings, and do some other things. So, and of course, set that power clean record for the D line. That was uh, big for me as well. But uh, it felt great um, that my teammates believed in me. So I definitely felt like I was trying to push uh, to, to earn their respect and to see that done. And the captainship uh, felt great. A couple things I want to follow up with you on that you mentioned as we've been speaking. You mentioned Coach Albert. Tell us a little bit about Coach Albert because I think that he was probably the best hire Coach Cut has made during his time at Duke. Uh, he and John Latina are right up there, probably one and one A, tied with one another. But tell us a little bit about Coach Albert. Uh, Coach Albert is um, one of my favorite guys. Uh, I love uh, Coach Albert. Uh, I actually spoke to him um, recently. Uh, so I still check in with him. So uh, I love him. That's a great thing to say about Coach Albert. Not only uh, his coaching style, and like I said, I definitely saw um, some, some huge increase in my production. Um, following that year with him, but also just as a as a person, you know, spending some time with him, you know, likes to like grill and have us over uh, to the house and hang out with him, him and his family. So as a person and a coach, I love Coach Albert. What is it? it? 
What is it about him that makes him so good at producing t- uh, very skilled, very productive offense, uh, defensive linemen? Um, I brought it up when I was talking about uh, the Canada, the yard off the ball, and how he instructs us as far as closing the distance and what to do with our hands. I don't think he just understands the game very well. His defensive uh, line philosophy, I thought, was uh, incredible. And his ability to also just push, motivate, and believe in the players, I thought was also great. Uh, like I said, you know, was tasked with hosting some defensive meetings prior to um, games and being able to run some film. I have to like, uh, having that ability to kind of run my own show a little bit and call some games, stuff like that, and earning his trust there um, was a big uh, confidence boost for me on the field. Um, so I definitely think that his ability to connect with you personally and also just be a great coach. And also, I mean, he'll be, you know, definitely get on to you, of course, like any coach will. But um, will definitely also be a great uh, mentor and friend to you as well. So I appreciate that in him. Now, you mentioned earlier uh, going into halftime of the Peach Bowl and then you guys come out and that one slips away. Have you ever watched that game again from start to finish? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I will. Well, but, uh, Maybe I should have, but no, I have not start to finish. I've watched uh, some stuff. I think like the second half, I haven't watched the whole thing. I kind of watched like, the downfall really only. Um, but have you watched the whole game? Yeah, so if you're if you have some time one day, Carlos Ray and I did about a two hour interview uh, where we went over all the bowl games. Okay, for that four year run, and yes. he That's told a great football mind as well. Oh man, yeah, I understand skin very well. And he's coaching now. He's he's coaching the yeah. D line at Crest High. I'm I'm ecstatic for the guy. That D line's going to be good, real good. Oh, absolutely. I was definitely impressed with his ability. Uh, he definitely taught me uh, a lot of things. Uh, I wasn't really the, the brightest football mind, but he understands um, coverages and everything very well. I definitely think he uh, can break it all down to well. So I'm happy to hear he's coaching, and I'm sure that defense is going to be awesome. Right, right. I, and 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 he he told me to pay attention to the A&M offensive line when I watched that game again, and I did. And that – a&M O-line really was, I don't want to say controlling the game, but they had, even when you guys were up, it's not like the O-line was given a lot away. And it seemed to me like once A&M calmed down and stopped trying to hit a home run with every pass. Every yeah, yeah, exactly. Then things got really complicated. And, of course, we all remember how it ended. So. How it ended, yeah. Ooh, what was that like on the sideline to see that game slip away? Oh, it hurt, um, especially like seeing John Smith bounce around and like there. He was he was uh, he did he was incredible the second half. Uh, and of course, you know having Mike Evans having some big catches as well. Uh, it was just it was mortifying to see that just slip away. Like, like I said, I'm in uh, in the locker room at halftime. And on my phone, I'm like oh, I think this is this is done. I can't believe I beat Texas A and M and. And count your chickens before they hatch, or you'll have that uh, that demise and that <laughs> sadness on your face. So it's sad to see them come that closed out. But I heard watching, especially not being able to do anything while um, redshirting, of course. Let's talk a little bit about the team today. Do you keep up with the program at all? Um, not as much as I should, but I definitely do. Uh, talking to some guys. Um, of 
course of some of them uh, leaving the program. Sad to see some of my guys go, but uh, I uh, do a little bit of watching, um, not as much as I should. Well, what do you think about the team coming into to this season? And I'll tell you, cards on the table, I'm cautiously optimistic about this team. I think if the O-line gels real well, they're going to be good. Uh, but they could also be like a 4-8 and eight or a 5-7 and seven team that loses a lot of close games. But you think, man, next year they could be pretty good. I'm just yeah. curious what yeah. you think about this squad. Um, I, I'm cautiously optimistic as well. Um, I'd like to see what happens. I think that uh... – Especially not being there and being at practice, I don't really know what's going on. I can't really um, speak too heavily on what is happening within the walls, but um, I'm definitely optimistic as well, especially uh, coming off the last year. Hopefully they can uh, turn it around. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching to see what happens. I think also seeing what happens like post all uh, the COVID restrictions, I wonder what's going to happen with that. I wonder um, – uh, I think that was a really tough be having to you know, go through all that testing and stuff and kind of see people, some people step away from the team because they didn't really trust it. And then, I don't know. That's been kind of a mess, in my opinion. So I'm eager to see how all that will be dealt with and then how um, it just throws a wrench in being able to go out and play when you have to think about other things. So I think it's tough on the players um, also. So I'll be interested to see. Um, I don't have a, a gamble on a number as far as wins yet, but – I'll have to maybe go to some practice or something or see what happens first couple games before I have a, a real a real judgment on the team. Well, obviously you were a player there. You played at a high level. I'm a fan. Uh, I'm very invested in the program, probably to my wife's annoyance, but – uh, all that, I mean, well, you know, I'm almost 40 and, you know, uh, this is kind of one of my, my main hobbies. So, uh, but, uh, tell us from your perspective, what we as fans could do to be better and to better support the program. Um, go to the games. I mean, a stadium is, is empty far too often. I mean, when, once it's able to you know, have fans in there, go. Um, even if you go drunk and upset that you may lose, just go. Um, <laughs> it's <a> cool. <laughs> but uh, outside of that, I mean, go and also just understand. I feel like uh, fans in general, even if especially when you see it at the pro level, um, even like you said, as far as like what I was saying about history and you know, the schooling system, you know, may not really don't know everything as far as the ins and outs. So I say, in similar ways, I do not know every inch of the school system. I just have my opinion. Um, you don't really know what goes into playing football, so I mean, or playing professional basketball or whatever. I think a lot of people come down hard on these athletes and having no idea, and not even like playing middle school sports. So just kind of having the understanding that similar to I don't know everything. You also don't know everything, and try to take all of that with a grain of salt. And so to boil that down, clearly what you're saying is listen to this podcast, get more insight. Yes. Exactly. Yes, that- absolutely. <laughs> come, come here and get, get some information first. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, a couple other things I want to touch base with you on. What was your favorite moment at Duke, either on or off the field? Favorite moment? Man, it has to be either you know, winning – uh, getting that division win my first year or that bowl win in Yankee Stadium. I mean, having that, that's just having being a part of that history. And like you said, not winning for so long, being able to get a, a bowl win. Also, that four time, four overtime victory at Virginia Tech and getting my first sack in that game, that was, uh, of course, big for me as well. 
Um, I know you said one, but those are my three. Hey, you know what, man? As many as you want. I'm I'm terrible at just picking one thing. You know, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? I always have qualifiers. So, but you brought up some good moments. Uh, and you mentioned two things from the 2015 season. And I, I when Thomas Sirk came on and I interviewed him, I, he started talking about that game. And, man, I, I just wanted to go out and, and either, you know, yeah. go for a run, work out, do something, play some sport, he, man. He that got awesome me. Game, he, he played great. So, yeah, I, uh, it was incredible. I was being there and it's like the noise in that stadium, like how loud it gets there. I love it. So one day we got to get all this way that loud. But we need to win some games first. Well, I've yeah, got – now I've got tickets. We're going to a game this year. We go to one a year. Uh, you know, I'm trying to look at other options, maybe to get to a second one. Uh, but things are getting a little hectic with work schedule, with trials picking back up again. So, but I, I, I can't wait to see the Blue Devils play Kansas. I'm really excited about that one. That's awesome. I'm going to ask, uh, since you were on trials coming up, uh, what type of law do you do? And well, I am a, I'm a trial attorney. Uh, I think of myself as a trial lawyer. I handle predominantly personal injury and medical malpractice cases. I represent uh, people who have been injured or hurt. Uh, I also do, since I've gone to my own firm now with three of the lawyers, a, a smaller firm, I do a little bit more than I used to do at my old firm. And uh, I do a little bit of uh domestic relations work, help one of my partners out uh, when he's kind of slammed with stuff. But I also have started doing some defamation cases, uh, which are interesting. Uh, not the kind of big stuff that we think about that's in, you know, mm-hmm. the, where the New York Times or the Washington Post is getting sued. But I do a little bit of that yeah. and, and just, you know, stuff that gets you in a courtroom. Okay, awesome. My fiance uh, just uh, graduated from law school. It's going to be starting here in September, uh, so um, that's why I was interested. Oh well, that's fantastic. Where'd she go to law school? Oh, she went to Emory. Oh, that's in, a, in uh, Georgia. Yeah, that's a great, great law school. My first year at WNL, our dean, we, we had three deans in three years. It was a disaster. I can't believe anybody from our our class still is involved with the school, but we actually are uh, pretty pretty. Uh, heavily involved, but uh, he went to Emory there, uh, and everybody I know who was who went to Emory just loves it. Has nothing but good things to say about it. I don't know if she would have nothing but good things to say about it, but <laughs> she uh, graduated. <laughs> I don't know if I would go that far. Well, uh, to say that she would love it, but um, she's definitely done. I'll say that. Well, let me. Uh, I, I will. I will offer this experience when we were done. And graduating, I think we all hated the law school. But once we got out and we looked back on it, we were like, you know, the stuff that we didn't like about it wasn't really that big of a deal. It's it's compared to the life of a new associate at a firm. You know, maybe we didn't realize how good we had it. Uh, So, you know, I don't know what what the situation's like there at Emory. I can't say, but maybe with some time, uh, those feelings will uh, will change some. But uh, so so you guys are engaged. She's just graduated. Has she taken the bar yet? Just did on Tuesday. Oh man, she's overjoyed. How is she? How's she feeling? Because I could, I'll tell you how I felt after I took the bar exam here. But but how's she doing? 
Um, she is tired. Uh, <laughs> is kind of happy. Went to a nice dinner afterwards. But yeah, she's uh, happy to. She's been studying all day, every day for a couple months now. So she's just relieved to be able to do something else. Yeah, it's a miserable bar prep. Is miserable. Yeah, she was not happy. Uh, was is it a one day bar there in Georgia or is it a two day bar? It was two days. Okay. Well, hopefully she's in a better mood than I was. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you this. So the first day for us was essay. And, uh, excuse me, and I got back and I, we were taking the bar here in Roanoke, but I was living up in Lexington. So as I was driving back to Lexington, I realized I'd answered a question incorrectly. And I just, I came home. I didn't eat dinner. I went to bed. I was convinced I was going to fail the bar. I went, I went <laughs> the next day, got up, drove back down there, took the multiple choice, came back. And I was in a funk for like weeks. Yeah. I was in a horrible funk. My wife was pregnant with our, our son. And I was convinced I was going to fail the bar. My career was over. It just wasn't going to work out. And I got into such a bad spot. My, we'd been married. I'm trying to think. So it was 08. We'd been married for about five years. My okay. my wife calls my dad and my parents called my mom and dad and just says, is this normal for him after some big thing that doesn't go well? Because I've never seen him this bad. <laughs> and my dad called me and was basically like, son, get your you know what together, you know? And so then we... Then we moved down here to Roanoke. I was waiting for my job to start after Labor Day, and I watched a lot of Olympic basketball. I watched the Redeem team, you know, walked my dog every day, got in a good little rhythm, and, you know, things got back to normal once I got back to work. So I hope your fiancé is doing much better than I was. Um, She's doing uh, pretty good now. was definitely more in in the bad mood during, Um, of course, um, you know, all you do is study all day, every day, but definitely a lot happier now. Well, good, good. And where, where is she going to be working at? Um, King and Spalding. Oh, fantastic. That's a great firm. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, she's a, she's a superstar, to say the least. Well, uh, you know, uh, I think you clearly have a career in, in college recruiting. You're obviously a closer, uh, and uh, <laughs> you can attract the talent. <laughs> no, well, uh, tell her, uh, uh, give her uh, my best. I don't know if she That's has fine. friends or family in the legal field. I didn't uh, when when I went through that process. So uh, you've got my number. If there's anything that, that she needs to run anything by somebody, I've been in practice for about 13 years now. I'm, I'm uh, My door is always open. I'm always happy to help new lawyers. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate that. I'll definitely uh, pass that on. All right. Thank now, you. Oh, oh, again, my, my pleasure. We, we got a little sidetracked, so I, I can't let you Sorry, go. No, 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 no. no. Don't, don't apologize. <laughs> I, I had a nice segue, but so I'm not going to be able to use that now. But you mentioned two things from 2015. Yes. Do you want to talk about Miami? Yes or no? Um, we can. I, I still see, like, people still send me the video. And I'm just like, the refs, I mean, of course, um, you should never leave the game to the refs. You should always do what you need to do on the field to take care of the game. You can't let it boil down to 
what the ref does or does not do. But damn, that was tragic. It was tragic. Um, but yes, happy to talk about it. But okay, I was very upset the next day when they're like, "Oh yeah, they suspended the ref." So like, that doesn't help me. We lost the game. Yeah. So let me. You say you can't leave it up to the refs. You didn't leave it up to the refs. You tackled the guy, and his knee was down. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you won well, the game. I, what I mean by that is, like, uh, the, the scramble shouldn't have happened, and they shouldn't have been close enough. I mean, uh, but, yeah, they did tackle him. But, I mean, I have a little time where, like, oh, like, it didn't call a holding, or they didn't, you know, and things happen. So what I mean by leaving up to him is, like, I mean, the fact that they didn't call those things before I lost. Uh, but, I mean, you can't. Got to got to win and win big, uh, because you know what can go wrong will go wrong. Unfortunately. Well, yeah, so the thing that was interesting about that 2015 team, and particularly Cirque as a quarterback, was he really came alive with the game on the line, and those close game situations seemed to be kind of what he was about, and he would kind of lock in, and you guys as a unit yeah. would lock in too, you know, and you'd start getting stops, you'd start, you know beating guys one-on-one, but were you on the field at all for that play, that final play? Um, no, uh, I was not on the field. I did um, also, uh, that, that, that Miami game hurts me because two big um, offense, uh, I jumped offside twice um, had some on that game, so that is also a very true game for me as well. But um, no, I was not on the field. But just watching it, just mind-blown. And I was like, oh, this can't happen. And then they like they reviewed it, and they're like, yeah, touchdown. I was like, this can't. There's no way you reviewed it. But, you know. Okay, so I want to break that down. Yeah, no, I want to break that down into to, to a couple of points. So I talked to Joe Ajibi, and he said that there was kind of this okay. sense. Yeah, no, and he said, look, there was a sense that the game was over with the tackle. Right. And and yes. and he said, look, we we all are supposed to play to the whistle, but that's just coaches speak when the play's over, you know, it's over. And we all thought it was over. And I the honesty about that was, I thought, fantastic. But two, that there were guys on the field who saw that that was down. And what's mm-hmm. important to me about that is the official who's staring right at it misses it. Right. Yeah. So you guys Not are only that, they review it and they still miss it. Not only did the, the rack there miss it, it's like you reviewed it and you're like, yes, this makes sense. So even did, worse. did you guys see it there at Wallace Wade and you could tell, hey, we won, this game's over? Uh, I mean, I, I, of course, I, I thought that, but I mean, you can't, I mean, I don't, I would have to put much stock in it, I mean. They have to say that. What I think doesn't, unfortunately, doesn't really matter. It's uh, about what the the rush, you know, comes back and tells us. But I thought that it was done, and I thought I mean, originally when I saw them doing this, is like this is I was like this is a terrible idea. How would you do this? But so, and then it worked. So I guess jokes on me. But well, yeah, it was unbelievable. What's the reaction on the sidelines from players, coaches, everybody when? They come out that third time and say the game's over. Miami won. Oh, everybody devastated, of course. It's just a shock, a shock, a disbelief. You know, sadness for all of the emotions, of course. But I mean, uh, the, the consensus the next day was, you know, like I said, I mean, can't leave it up to the refs, and then now we have to put it behind us and get ready for the next one. And 
similarly to the, the, the streaks that we were talking about earlier, like the, the six-game losing streak. Uh, as a team, if you can't put those kind of things out of your mind, um, you'll continue to suffer from them weeks later, and uh, that helps no one. So um, as hard as it is, you have to try to you know put that to bed. But it definitely weighed on all of us, um, weighed on me. I guess I can't speak for about anyone else, but I was upset. Well, I, I've talked to a lot of folks uh, from that team, and they've all pretty much said what you said, that it affected them too, and it just was hard to get over. But uh, actually, one of, the, one of the most interesting comments that I had about that was, again, from, from Carlos, where I told him beforehand, I said, I'm going to ask you about this. And he said, that's fine. He's, I'm an open book. You can ask me about whatever you want. I'll be fine. And yeah. so I asked him about it, and there was just radio silence for <laughs> for a good period of time. Like he had a hard time bringing it up, you know. Yeah, it's it, it, it's painful, especially because, like I said, I still see you know, like on ESPN, like someone will, like repost it, and it's like this wasn't even valid, but like it's still like hyped as like one of the greatest plays. It's like, ah, it wasn't even a good play. This it's bad record. It needs a thirty for thirty, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd be okay with that. But, yeah. You know, gotta, unfortunately, it's done. Nothing to do about it now. What, but, yeah, it was, it was awful. Well, I don't I don't want to end on something negative. So, is there anything else you want to talk about, your time at Duke, what you're doing now, uh, anything you want to discuss? It's an open mic. Um... Hmm. I don't know. I'll definitely say uh, I definitely I would say I miss, like I said, miss the teammates, miss some camaraderie, and I think like any um, younger players, though, listening, I would say that enjoy the time. Just like you were saying about um, how your time at uh, law school, so if us and time passes, you're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Um, the same aspect will be uh, with uh, football as well. Um, try to live in that moment and enjoy it and enjoy being with the, your teammates because uh, at one time it'll come to an end. So whenever, regardless of how long it takes, even if you play you know, 20 years in the NFL, it'll still come to an end. So enjoy that time and uh, be present and to try not to loathe that waking up too much because uh, some guys wish they could wake up early and go back, back to the locker room. Well, I just want to say thank you for your time today. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, and I just want to say to everybody who is out there listening, we have one more interview planned. We're still finalizing the details, so I'm not going to give away who it is, but we're going to stay on the defensive we're going to stay on the defensive side of the ball for for the next one that will end season the 1. Uh do what now? I said the good guys. That's right. That's right. The, the offensive guys get way too much credit, right? Oh, always. <laughs> so, so we're gonna we're gonna do one more. Then we're, when the season starts up, we're gonna go back to the blog. We're gonna come back. Hopefully, I'll work on lining up some season two guests. We can get this going. You guys know where to find us: bullcitycoordinators.com at Duke FB coverage. Check out our good friends over at the Section Seventeen podcast. Listen to their interviews and their game by game breakdowns and uh, recaps and what's going to be coming up for the uh, the games this season. We thank you for your continued patronage, and we look forward to many, many more good interviews to come.